Hey, Mike. Can we start? Yeah. Can we start this by just saying congratulations, Mike? You have been um, so much part of the producing team of the aftermath, and from day one, uh, you should have been nominated along with the producers because I couldn't do the program without you, and we were lucky enough to be nominated for an Emmy this year and for the first time you received the Emmy alongside with us uh, the producers and you have always been a producer and you've always been um, the one who stayed late with me Mike you have always been the person who cared with me Mike and fought for our show Mike and so I want to congratulate you you deserve it and I thank you to the to the Academy for acknowledging us in the way that you have in the past by giving us the honor of an Emmy and also in our finale, giving it to the contributors of our finale. So we are so grateful. I wish you would have seen our real reaction uh, when it really <laughs> happened, snotting all over the place. It was not pretty, but uh, it was um, it meant so much. Mike. <laughs> yes, it did. And Leah. Yeah. Thank you. I love you. Oh, I, I really do. You're going to make uh, me cry. You, Stop looking at me. Don't look at me. I can feel you. You're going to cry. Ah! <laughs> that nothing in this show would have happened had it not been for you. It would. Th- this show could have been done without me. It could not have been done without you. And I it would never have. That. It would never have gotten to the air it never would have been anything if it hadn't been for your drive and certainly i was with you from really the get-go but it's leah remini scientology in the aftermath not mike rinder scientology in the aftermath so i have always as you know been just happy that the show was recognized yes that agreed. the contributors were, yes, recognized. were recognized agreed the, the real value of an Emmy award or the producer's award or all of the other awards Mm -hmm. is the recognition of people in a very important industry that the stories that were being told and have been told actually matter. That's, that's the real value of those things. And my appreciation for the voters who have voted for these various awards is an appreciation for them taking a stand with us yes, on agreed. behalf of the victims the of yeah, Scientology. Absolutely right. Anyway, thank you, Mike. And thank you for saying that. And thank you for voting for us. And, and thank you to the Academy. It, it was, it's still amazing. Uh, we're going to have another moment when we actually receive them. And uh, we'll, we'll post them. We'll post pictures for you when we get them. And um, thank you again, you guys. All right, on to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Fair Game. Mike, I can see you getting ready to say hello, which is lovely. (laughs) Hello, Leah. (laughs) And hello, everyone. Mike, today we have a a guest that, you know, I'm a fan of. Oh, I know. He's your favorite lawyer. I know. I know that, Leah. Yes, and I have begged him, begged him, (laughs) begged Welcome to our good friend, Ray Jeffrey. Hi, Ray. Hi, Ray. 
Hi, Mike and Leah. And I have to say, I'm excited to be here with you today. I love the topics. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, Mike, why don't you introduce Ray and, and how you guys know each other so that we have a little bit of history here for our listeners? Of course. Um, I know Ray because I originally reached out to him through a mutual friend to help when Debbie Cook, the former head of Scientology flag land base in, here in Clearwater, was sued by Scientology for an email that she had sent out protesting the tactics of Scientology, the money-making schemes and tactics of Scientology in late—actually, it was New Year's Eve 2011. Mm-hmm. And Scientology quickly— filed a lawsuit against her and her husband, Wayne, and requested a temporary restraining order against them with a very, very fast turnaround. And Scientology believed that they would steamroll Debbie and Wayne. They wouldn't be able to find a lawyer to represent them in time because, as I recall, it was just they had like 14 days before the hearing from the date that the lawsuit was filed. Mm-hmm. I flew to Texas where Ray lives. Uh, Debbie and Wayne were living near San Antonio at the time. Mm-hmm. Ray lived in a little town called Bolverde, which is just north of San Antonio, and met up with Marty Rathbun and with Wayne and Debbie and proceeded to try and find a lawyer to represent them uh, against the behemoth of Scientology and with a, a very, very short runway to learn anything and came across Ray, called him up and he was very interested and Marty Rathbun and me and Wayne and Debbie went down and met Ray. And for the next, I guess it was a week or a week and a half or something, we prepared responding on behalf of Wayne and Debbie. Not we is not me. It's Ray prepared to respond. And now, Ray, at this point, had you ever engaged with Scientology in any kind of lawsuits before? No, but one very interesting part of that whole story is that when I first got the call, I don't know if it was you or Michael Laws that called me, uh, but, but the question was put to me, do you know anything about Scientology? And I had just gotten back from vacation, and on vacation, I had read Janet Reitman's book, Inside Scientology, purely coincidental. So that was a crash course in not just Scientology, but the whole fair game aspect of Scientology. Right. So this was your first kind of go around with Scientology, and had had you, were you cautious? Were you like, I don't know if I want this for my (laughs) life. I'm going to get fair gamed. Like you said, having read the book, you were aware of what Scientology does to lawyers, to judges, doesn't matter who, uh, anybody uh, doing anything that Scientology doesn't like. Absolutely. Uh, I think any lawyer that's going to go head to head with the Church of Scientology has to uh, approach it with caution. And the fact that I had read the book Inside Scientology and, and read in detail about how Scientology had cowed and brought 
the Internal Revenue Service that every, all the rest of us are afraid of right. to their knees, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I knew that this was something very, very serious and something that had to be dealt with with extreme caution. And right. if you don't do that, you're going to be in deep trouble if you tangle with them. Right. So then take us from there, Mike. Well, as history now discloses, mm-hmm. Ray and Debbie in particular with her testimony on the stand was very successful in that hearing. Scientology did not expect what he prepared for them and Debbie's testimony. They walked out in the middle of the hearing that they had demanded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in in the course of that, Ray obviously met Marty and me, and I was at the time very good friends with Marty. In fact, I was probably, he was probably my closest friend. I was probably his closest friend. We had worked for many, many years together in Scientology, dealing with things like getting the IRS to give Scientology exemption. We spent three years together, uh, full-time dealing with the Lisa McPherson case. We had a long history together working on, quote, external affairs for Scientology, uh, otherwise known as the Dirty Tricks Department. Correct. You both worked in OSA together, and Marty Rathbun was the former Inspector General, right, of David Miscavige's personal organization, right? He was high-ranking. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but the point really was that we had worked very, very closely together on the Scientology side of fair game. Right. And we had hired private investigators. We had had people followed. I'd followed people. We had done all this stuff and and were very familiar with it. And that familiarity... And, and also the familiarity with the tactics used in litigation was very helpful to us in being able to brief Ray on what was coming right. and how that case was going to go down. Right. Marty continued to be a practicing Scientologist even after he left the Sea Organization. He went into hiding for a while and was like laid low in Brownsville, Texas or somewhere. And no people thought he was dead. In fact, I thought he was dead. And he resurfaced uh, at the time of Joe Childs and Tom Tobin putting together their uh, Truth Rundown series in 2009. And I recontacted Marty uh, we got together. I went to visit him. He came to Denver to visit me. I was living there at the time. And Marty took up the, he was already an auditor, a counselor in Scientology, and he took up counseling people outside of the church. In other words, uh, outside he of became, Scientology. Yeah. Right. He became mm-hmm. a Scientology practitioner outside of the scope of the Scientology organization. And that's not allowed. Now, Scientology, just so you know, everybody, they don't allow you to practice Scientology outside of the organization. So even though Marty wasn't in the Sea Org, Marty was doing something bad uh, in the eyes of the organization of Scientology by practicing it outside the guidelines and clutches of Scientology. So for that 
he was deemed an enemy. And uh, yes. what Scientology calls a squirrel. And a squirrel in Scientology is somebody who's doing Scientology outside of the the organization. Called him a right. squirrel. Okay. Right. And just, yeah. just as a note, Leah, yeah. the original use of the term fair game from L. Ron Hubbard mm -hmm. was for squirrels. Oh, okay. For people that he claimed were altering Scientology and that they should be tricked, lied to, that people should destroy them, et cetera, et cetera. That is the actual original use of that term. It's not right. the original use of targeting enemies or using PIs right. or whatever, but right. the term fair game derives from <laughs> his instructions to Scientologists to destroy people who are, quote, altering his technology. Which by Marty, delivering which, it which, outside the confines of his organization, and therefore the money is, is going not, right. somewhere else. Somewhere else, right. And so Marty was administering Scientology without Scientology is okay. Marty gets married to a non-Scientologist. Her name is Monique. Mosey is what, they, what he calls her. And they're living in Texas, and the Scientology uh, goes after them. And they start oh. fair gaming Marty and Mosey, who has nothing to do with Scientology other than being married to Marty. And we should put those videos up, Mike, on our website to show what they were doing to this man who was going on with his life but still believing in Scientology. So it didn't matter that he still believed in Scientology, right? Which you'd think, great, you're, you're not coming into church, but you're still believing in the, in, in the, uh, the practices and beliefs of Scientology, right? Yeah. Not okay with us. They're showing up to his door. They're harassing him. Yeah, they, they actually sent a contingent to where they lived, which was near Corpus Christi, and this contingent set up in a house, and they called themselves the Squirrel Busters. And right, they, they got had hats, they got shirts. T-shirts with his, with his picture on the front with a, a red circle and slash through it. They had a little um, uh, a golf cart that they would drive around and pull up in front of their house. They'd show up and take photos. And there was nothing the police could do? Nope, there was nothing other than when they goaded Marty enough into... Uh, you know, there was a couple of incidents where he pushed some guy and he squirted someone with a hose and they then called the police and tried to get criminal charges filed against him. It ultimately went nowhere. Mm -hmm. And the the police or the law enforcement, whoever it was, I don't know if it's mm -hmm. sheriffs or what, but mm -hmm. law enforcement were like sort of, look, these people are just on a public street that, you know, they can kind of do what they want. It was a, it was a, perhaps the most concerted campaign that Scientology has ever mounted on a quote squirrel. Right. And I will say that during that time, Marty, though practicing Scientology was exceedingly, exceedingly critical of David Miscavige and the Scientology organization. He was their worst nightmare, right. and I was sort of his sidekick, and we talked about a lot, and I helped, he had a blog, and I helped him with his blog, and we were very, very, very close, and I was, oh, like, 
like now Scientology likes to say, I'm your sidekick. Mm-hmm. Back then, I was Marty Rathbun's sidekick and his puppet and his, you know, this was the the line that they used was, I was just his, his lap dog, mm-hmm. just like I'm your lap dog. So he was doing the work and he was doing interviews. He was being very public about um, his criticisms uh, of the organization and David Miscavige, like you said. And for that, he was receiving these activities of fair game where they were. And, you know, people say all the time, like, why, oh, if somebody showed up to my house doing that. Well, listen, I mean, I have a I have a temper, too. And that's exactly what Scientology would want. It was that they would get you to a point where you crack somebody across the face or you you were defending yourself, your home, your your loved ones, and they would use uh, that against you to arrest you. And that is what they want to have happen. So uh, just know that. And that they did use those resources. Again, they don't pay taxes for the resources of police or fire or anything, but they do definitely exhaust those resources. And so this, this went on for how long? Because then Ray enters the picture. Well, it went on for uh, more than a year. Mm-hmm. As, constant, as I recall, constant, I, I mean, every day it was outside his ev- door. Yeah. Every day, every night. I mean, they'd mm-hmm. go for a walk on the beach and these guys would be in their golf cart, cat calling and yelling at them. Monique mm-hmm. would go to the supermarket. They'd be outside the supermarket. It was like full, full time. Right. And eventually they, uh, and I don't know really how this came about, but they moved to Bulverde, Texas, where Ray lives and was formerly the mayor. Right. In order to get away from this environment where they had been being mercilessly harassed mm-hmm. and into an environment where there was a little more uh, what you what Scientologists would call PR area control and safe pointing mm-hmm. because Ray mm-hmm. was a very prominent member of the Bulverde community. Mm-hmm. Well, I would like to fill in just a little bit there on on the transition, mm-hmm. because if you think about what was going on, the whole purpose of the Squirrel Busters campaign was to shut Marty up. Right. That was what they were trying to accomplish. And it backfired on them. The community actually did rise up around them, the city oh. council. Uh, I don't remember all the details of it now or after all of these years. But there was a lot of support. And that's lovely. Most of all, because I mean, who are these strange people wearing these weird shirts, following them around? They couldn't Mm -hmm. go to the grocery store without having someone following them. They couldn't eat anywhere without having them come in. And and the people in the town started to notice it. It's a very small town. And uh, even more than that, for the church, was it completely backfired because the 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 national the state the national and the international coverage of the squirrel busters thing mike you'll probably remember some of that it was on in texas monthly it was on bbc um the san antonio newspapers corpus christi i mean major articles and so what happened was that the church finally shut down the squirrel busters operation and just withdrew and so the Rathbuns thought they could continue with their what they had previously had a very happy life down there in Ingleside on the Bay. And Pat and, Broker is a former Sea Org member. Uh, matter of fact, uh, rumor has it that L. Ron Hubbard 
uh, intended for Pat Broker to take over Scientology uh, when he passed away, but uh, David Miscavige made sure that that didn't happen. Correct, Mike? And yeah. And, yep. Yep. And so anyway, uh, Pat Broker was uh, was driven out, and so the church surreptitiously followed him for the next, I believe it was 20 years. And so we had a lawsuit. The church stopped paying these private eyes for no known reason, just quit paying them. Mm -hmm. And so we sued and we sued down in the county where Ingleside on the Bay is so that we would have proper location of the lawsuit in Texas because Marty Rathbun had hired them. Mm -hmm. And the deal was with Marty Rathbun. So we went down and, uh, of course, we we wanted the, the blessing or at least the understanding of Marty that he was going to be named in this lawsuit. Mm -hmm. So coincidentally, while we were down there uh, and and uh, Greg and Paul were comparing notes with with Marty, they went around and they had actually been sent by the church to Ingleside on the Bay earlier to come up with a plan for how to surveil Marty and Monique. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so it, it, it was an incredible thing to watch them comparing notes because they were on opposite sides of the fence. <laughs> right. And as they went around, Paul and Greg, who are real professionals, they said, we recommended that they set up surveillance from this house over here across the street. And, and I think it was Greg noticed something and they went over and looked and no one was living in that house. And I think every window upstairs and downstairs in that house had surveillance equipment trained on Marty and Monique's house. Mm -hmm. Needless to say, that freaked them out of and course. Monique in particular they thought we finally have peace right. and we're under heavy duty surveillance that was what even though peace had come more or less to Ingleside on the bay Monique just did not feel like she could live there anymore of and course so they looked up for property up here and they looked in various places around the hill country this is a very desirable area but i i think it had something to do with their choice that they ended up about two miles down the road from my office in a very lovely uh, subdivision. They were able to rent a house there. And this is important to the story. The house backed up to many acres of undeveloped woods. Mm -hmm. So I'll kick it over to you, Mike. Well, what happened, uh, Ray had spoken to both me and Marty at great length about Look, the, what's happening to you, the fair game that you are undergoing, both Rathbuns and me and Christy, is actionable, and you should bring a lawsuit. And Marty and I were both very reticent to sue, uh, knowing how litigation goes. With Scientology. Exactly. Well, right. in general, but with <laughs> no, Scientology no, no, no. Yeah, in particular. Yeah, but with Scientology, because you, you know, Mike, that Scientology likes to waste the court's time. I mean, that is in the fair game policies when dealing with the court. Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard even says, like the purpose is not to win, the purpose is to exhaust one to where they just let the lawsuit go. Correct. Right, so go ahead. So 
as Ray was mentioning, in yeah. this large acreage behind their house, wooded acreage, suddenly a visitor who was visiting them, one of our mutual old friends, looked up and said, I think that's a camera in that tree. Unreal. And it turned out that it was more than one camera. There were several of them that had been put in the trees behind their house to spy on them. And at that point, Marty and Monique finally said, we have got to stop this. We have got to get an injunction to prevent them. And that's how the lawsuit got filed on behalf of Monique by who was, who Ray. Was never, who was never a Scientologist. Yeah, and she was she was harassed outside of just being followed. All sorts of other things happened, and there is other complications that were going on at the time. Yeah, th there are a couple of fascinating details in here uh, that you didn't mention. One is that it wasn't just the cameras, which, by the way, were not game cameras. This is hunting country, mm -hmm. so it's not unusual to have game cameras. These were human surveillance cameras with a link over the cell tower system so that you could be sitting at OSA in Los Angeles and be watching the video or whoever they had uh, keeping tabs on the video. Marty ran into uh, an individual walking around on the, in the wooded property and that fellow had a cover story that he was a writer from Houston and he was going to uh, move a travel trailer onto that property that he had rented, and he was going to use it as a getaway to write. And you know, of course, Marty knew that that was garbage. And I, we we did some checking into him, and it turned out that he was a private eye mm -hmm. uh, or a former treasury agent or something. He had some kind of law enforcement or or private eye background, and so. Um, you know, and none of us, uh, Mike was not gung-ho about any kind of lawsuit over anything that had happened in the past. Marty mm -hmm. and Monique were not, and I was not. I mm -hmm. never had pushed for any sort of litigation mm -hmm. for the stuff that had gone down in Eagle Side on the Bay. But mm -hmm. when this happened, it was, you know, a no-brainer. Something had to be done. Yes, and how many years are we talking now? Has this been going on for Marty and the fair gaming going on with Marty and Monique? Um, the the when was the lawsuit? Was filed in two thousand thirteen, and the the fair gaming started really in two thousand and nine, when Marty was contacted by the Tampa Bay, the St. Pete Times at the time. Guys, this is going on for four years, and Scientology like. How much money do you think was spent on the the pat broker uh, of it all? We're talking millions, right? We're talking Scientology is using tax exempt money. I mean, they're paying these PIs two. What did you say, two hundred thousand a year? Right, I think it was two hundred and fifty thousand a Each. year. Each. Yes, I, that's that's what I recall. Okay, and that went on. How long were they following pat, pat broker? Twenty, 20 years. years. Twenty years. So, okay, five million Ta bucks or something. Ten. Right. Five to ten million bucks. So well, that and and they had the squirrel busters down there, and they were paying them, right? Like this so, team yeah, yeah. of people, they right. were so paying we're talking, all of them. We're talking millions of millions. They're buying houses. They're renting houses. They're buying surveillance. They're four years of this, and finally, this was the 
the straw that broke the camel's back at this point, right? Right. Yeah, you can okay. run, but you can't hide. Right. That's what they finally figured out. They, this was never going to end. They had also been followed since they had moved to Bulverde, but that didn't freak them out too bad. They, they, you know, it bothered them, but right. it was not the same as having human surveillance cameras and sure. and uh, spies on the property next mm-hmm. door. Sure. So you guys decide, okay, we should move forward with this fair game suit to to st- so that we could live our lives in peace. Yes, and um, one of the things, a very important decision that we made right at the beginning was the decision to sue on behalf of only one person, mm-hmm. Monique Rathbun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church loves to assert First Amendment defenses, you know, religious mm-hmm. abstention doctrines, and all of those things. Well, Monique had never been a member of the Church of Scientology. I think for a very brief time, you know, she had done some auditing with Marty, and she might have even considered herself to be a believer in Scientology. I can't put myself. But just so you know, Ray, that's not the, we. We even us who are out consider that like not right. Just so you yeah. know, like that's not <laughs> real. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> you can't. But, <laughs> she she but wasn't getting just, Scientology. Yeah, because. We just felt like we would avoid a lot of the roadblocks and problems that the church has lawyers have been developing for years and years to fight us if right. we we just left Marty out. And we right. did. We left Marty out of the lawsuit um, and we filed on behalf of her. Right. So it was a much more compelling story also. And there was no baggage that, oh, well, she was a bitter uh, apostate or any of wanting those to make things. a name for herself. Now, um, I don't know if you can answer this question, but but Mike, you were best friends with with Marty, and uh, you know we all know that when we leave Scientology, none of us have a real education because Scientology doesn't think that an education outside of Scientology is worth anything. None of us leave with degrees, or you know, you, you guys don't have a pension leaving the Sea Org. You make fifty dollars a week, if that. So Marty wasn't working uh didn't he didn't have money to pay for this right this lawsuit right you were doing this um uh, this was completely on a contingent fee basis and that is if they ever received any money from the church of scientology in any form or fashion then we would be entitled to a percentage of that right and this so this was filed in 2013 no, um, oh, yeah, I think it was. It was okay. five, yeah, in maybe June or July or something like that of 2013. Okay, and then what happens from there, Ray? Okay, so what happened was we immediately ran to court and got what's called a temporary restraining order, the same sort of thing that the Church of Scientology had gotten against Debbie and Wayne mm-hmm. uh, a year or so earlier. And um, that's a very intensive process. The, mm-hmm. the judge grants it, but it only lasts for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And then you have to have a full-blown evidence hearing with witnesses and everything else to mm-hmm. show that you're entitled to have an injunction that lasts all the way until you have a trial a year later or however long later, two years later, it might take. And, and uh, Mike Render came to Texas 
to be our star witness or one of our star witnesses for that hearing. And uh, so we, th- we then found ourselves facing almost, it was almost comical how many lawyers we faced in that case. I think there were over 20 lawyers, if I'm not mistaken. Mike, do you remember in court against us? Uh, it seems like it was that many, Ray. I don't know that I, I can recall exactly, but it was rows. There wasn't enough seats at council table for them all, nor were there enough seats in the first row of the gallery. I mean, Monique Yingling was there and Gary Soda was there. All the Texas lawyers they'd hired were there. Eric Lieberman was there. I mean, the whole gamut, Rick Moxon, everyone was there. And Mike, this is a this is a um, a tactic of when you were the head of OSA, the the department that destroys <clears throat> tries attempts to destroy people's lives who speak out against Scientology. This is a tactic, right? You guys, you guys sit around and go, all right, let's hire the best law firms, and we want to flood we want to flood the courtroom with power. I mean, this is a an intended picture, right? So, Mike, yes, absolutely. It has two purposes, Leah. Okay, one. Find the most reputable law firm in the local area that you can to give you instant credibility in front of a judge. Okay. That is like objective number one. Find someone that can walk in and because they say, I'm representing the Church of Scientology, you get the credibility of that guy or woman or whoever it is. Two, when... People are confronting Scientology and litigation. They usually are like Ray, a single practitioner lawyer, or at best, two guys mm-hmm. sitting at the council table. And they look over, and there's like 20 people. It has an, an, an intimidation or an attempted intimidation mm-hmm. effect on the opposing lawyers. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. We're going to get worked to death. We're going to be overwhelmed. We might as well give up right now because this is a hopeless, hopeless endeavor that we have engaged in. And That's Ray, what you, did it? You, did it work, Ray? No, no. I always <laughs> laughed because only one lawyer can speak at a time. Right. So it doesn't matter if they bring twenty lawyers. Only mm. one gets to speak at a time. So, and it's usually one side versus the other. So 20 lawyers aren't going to get up and speak on behalf. And we sued a whole bunch of parties. We sued David Miscavige, I believe, individually. We sued uh, the RTC. We sued the Church of Scientology International. We sued all of some of the squirrel busters mm-hmm. that were down in um, uh, in England. Side on the bay, we sued some private investigators. So there were a lot of a lot of parties there, but but no, that that wasn't really intimidating. But I think Mike touched on the thing that you do worry about is they can overwhelm you with paper. That's why I'm saying in the year 2012, I worked from the time I got up and had mm-hmm. my coffee to the time I went to bed and had a bourbon <laughs> before mm-hmm. I I went to sleep. I would be sitting there working on paper because that's how much stuff they would hit you with. But what I always found fascinating was they'd, they'd get the most high-priced, high-quality lawyers, mm-hmm. and then they, those lawyers would come to court, and they'd be sort of unarmed and the, or, or kind of have a hand tied behind their back because they don't have a boot camp 
that they send these wonderful lawyers to to tell them about Operation Snow White and about mm-hmm. Lisa McPherson mm-hmm. and about uh, you know, on and, and the whole. Mm-hmm. And they, yes. they don't know any of this stuff. Right, so they're right, sitting right. there in court. Right. And they're hearing these things from my mouth or my co-counsel's mouths for the first time. And I can see them out of the corner of my eye looking at each other. They can't even figure out what objection to make. Or when I present what L. Ron Hubbard taught about the corporate formalities and structure of Scientology was to drive their enemies mad because Mm -hmm. as soon as they would grab for one target, the enemies of the church, then it would actually be shifted over to another target. And he, Mm -hmm. I think Hubbard literally said, it'll drive them mad. And they've never heard this. This is, this is official doctrine of the organization that, that we're suing. Right. So they can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. They all have to admit that yes, we follow, uh, you know, you know more than a than uh, the bylaws of a corporation. I mean, it's it's sacred s- script. But mm-hmm. th- as a, as a lawyer against them, I have to be very careful to make it clear we're not suing over any kind of a religious matter. Mm-hmm. And I went to great pains always to say we're not here to decide about doctrine or about theology or anything like that. This is a purely civil dispute. And right. that's a hurdle that you have to overcome in these types of lawsuits. But sure. uh, but anyway, it's, it's a, an amazing experience to be down there in those circumstances. And if I, if I could make another comment just in general about litigating with the, the Church of Scientology, uh, because it fits into this whole fair game thing. Mm-hmm. I do only civil lawsuits. I've never handled a criminal case in my career. Mm-hmm. And in the problem with suing the Church of Scientology is it's almost like a criminal case that should be prosecuted by the FBI or so, you know, with investigated by the FBI and prosecuted by the Department of Justice. If you are a civil litigator, people think that hanky-panky goes on in civil lawsuits, and there might be some little bit around the edges or this or that. But by and large, if if a lawyer is representing a company and they have a bunch of emails about something, and the other side asks for those emails and the judge says, yes, that's an appropriate request, you got to give them the emails and no no civil lawyer that i know worth his salt would destroy them or lie and say right. that they don't have such things the right. mafia would a criminal well, defendant I don't, I don't, would i don't like to insult the mafia by well i'm sorry yeah no my apologies to the mafia but they have some morals, Ray. Scientology exactly. does not. <laughs> so, yeah, that is just your opinion. So, I'm just going on the movies. I'm so saying I know in, <laughs> in, a, in one way, you, you have to be aware that the normal tools that you have in the civil justice system are not going to work well. Because, for example, we sent and and you know, we knew what kind of stuff they have. We know that David Miscavige is followed around every waking hour by people recording every golden word out of his mouth. And then it's all transcribed overnight because it's so important, you know, him cussing out people and telling them what a bad job they're doing and all of that. But if you ask them in discovery, in civil litigation, 
They have no documents. And Mike helped us with this. We, we got interrupted um, on the motion to compel the church. But right. I think Mike provided a, a, uh, an affidavit about this. There is no more records obsessed organization in the world. In the, the world? KTD. Than the, in the Church world. of Scientology, yes. they, because remember, L. Ron Hubbard said, "If it right. isn't written down, right. it, it isn't doesn't true. exist." It isn't true. It yes. isn't true. Yes. And so, exactly. and then you just go to your clients and mm -hmm. you say, "We need any emails you have about such and such." Sure. And what does the client do? They come back and say, "We don't have any." Mm -hmm. And the lawyer says, are you sure? They seem convinced that you have them. No, we don't have any. So the lawyer is not doing anything wrong, unethical, inappropriate. The lawyer responds, none. Right. And we know. And we had a very dramatic uh, uh, episode in um, Monique's case where we caught them. They produced a video of surveillance done on Monique and Marty down in Ingleside on the Bay, right. at which the police were summoned to confront the cameramen that were in this car. Right. And um, through a sh just a freak stroke of luck, uh, Marty ran into the cameraman right. at some other time. And the, the guy said, I quit after a day. It was too creepy. I couldn't do it. Oh, and so the, the cameraman gave to Marty the actual footage that he had taken. Oh, God bless him. By a sheer stroke of luck, uh, we actually got our hands on the, the original footage, audio and video of this encounter. Now, what the church had given us was a grainy, short little snippet where you couldn't hear the sound. I don't remember if you could hear a little of it, but not all, or you couldn't, right, there was right, no right. sound it's an edited, It's an edited got, version. It was, yeah. We, we got the actual original thing, and it was in high definition, crystal clear sound. It looked really bad for the Church of Scientology. This great cop came over and started asking them what they were doing, and the whole thing, it stunk to high heaven. And so right. it was a great piece of evidence for us. Well, we happened to have that. So we moved to compel and for punishment and everything else. And um, so that was a great, a great incident in the case. And we, we fought for probably a couple of hours till the judge finally let me pay play the, the original unedited version. And it was pretty dramatic. And the judge was furious when he saw it. So, but they fight over everything. But my point here is the average civil litigator um, goes on the assumption mm -hmm. that the lawyer on the other side is going to produce the documents that exist. If you litigate with the church of Scientology under their whole doctrine of fair game, um, they're going to lie and give you nothing. They will lie mm -hmm. with no concern. Um, mm -hmm. It just, they will say no documents when they have documents. You just have to assume that is happening. That's my belief of what happened in my dealings with them. Right. So what happens? So now, Ray, take us through what happens next. This okay. is going on for so, how long? Uh, well, the, the case went on for two and a half years until we were abruptly fired and, and the, the Rathbuns dismissed their case. And we can talk about that. 
But what happened in the flow of the case was one of the early things we wanted to do was to take David Miscavige's deposition. And Leah, you may remember, you were even possibly going to give a little bit of testimony there that to, to help um, in, in showing that it could be relevant. I don't even remember what the point was, but we had at least talked at one time way back then, and you were very kind to us in that regard, but it never came to that. And um, so the judge ordered that, that uh, David Miscavige was going to have to testify, and he forecast that given the amount of fighting with the lawyers, um, that he would probably have to do it in his courtroom. Now, can you imagine David Miscavige coming into a Texas courtroom with a man with a gun there or more multiple men with guns and a judge with a gavel and, and, and being put under the gun where his lawyers can't just stop the questioning? It would have been a disaster. And um, so we had an, an emergency appellate uh, procedure that went on. And the Court of Appeals said, you haven't really shown us enough yet. There are very strict rules about taking the top person's deposition in any organization or a large organization. And so they didn't say we could never do it, but they just said, you don't have enough now. And then, um, so there were various things going on, but the, the giant 800 pound gorilla issue in the case happened when we were down there on another hearing, we were in constant fights with them, that the, the entire box is full with a game-changing motion that they are filing. And it's a motion to dismiss our case because it violates the Texas Citizens Participation Act. And when, when a party files that, it's called an anti-slap motion. Um, and this actually started in California, I believe. And one of the first and greatest cases was Wallersheim. Was, uh, Wallersheim won a huge victory uh, on an anti-slap motion. And I can explain that, but suffice it to say that they filed this massive motion, which halted the case, no discovery, nothing else could go on, and we were going to have to go down within a specified amount of time and have an entire trial at which they claimed that they all of their activities were protected by the First Amendment. And under this statute, which most states have now, um, if you're getting sued for exercising your First Amendment rights, rather than be abused by some huge organization and, and being run into the dirt, you can file this motion and that big organization has to come into court and prove every element of their claim against you or you, their case gets thrown out and you have to pay uh, the, the moving party's attorney's fees. So the reason why I'm smiling about this is that this is supposed to protect the little guy. This is supposed <laughs> to protect the Monique Rathbuns of the world, right. uh, protect them against the churches of Scientology or the General Motors or whomever mm -hmm. of the world. And here was the 800-pound gorilla lumbering into court with this huge motion claiming that they were poor. The victims. Poor yeah. of Scientology, they're the victims. Yeah. And so we went down and we had a massive hearing on that. Mm -hmm. I actually was one of the few times I got to just sit and watch and it was, it was exhausting. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was a, an incredible battle against great lawyers. And, um, the judge ultimately ruled 
that we were, you know, we had proved every element of our claims that that they did not have a valid motion. And so then they took an um, sort of an emergency or accelerated appeal from that. Mm-hmm. And this is how we stretched through two and a half years. So right. there was a period of time where there was a lull. There was not a huge amount going on other than the appellate stuff. Sure. And um, ultimately, we got a decision from the very respected Austin Court of Appeals. You know, Austin's the state capital. Uh, you know, a lot of those judges end up going over to the Supreme Court at some mm-hmm. point. Um, uh, you know, it's, I've always regarded it as a, as a top-notch appellate court in the state of Texas. And we won, and I hope people understand how big this victory was for people who are fair gamed by the Church of Scientology, because the Court of Appeals even went one step farther than the trial court. They said all of this activity, and you have to understand that the Church of Scientology gambled. They thought they were so brilliant mm-hmm. in filing this motion that as a gamble, they basically admitted that everything we were saying that, that they had done, they mm-hmm. admitted that they did it. And mm-hmm. I thought the biggest challenge in the case was going to be proving that they actually directed it and they would hide behind all the the squirrel busters saying, oh, no, we were just down there as a matter of our religious conscience. We were doing our own thing. But they gambled it all. They admitted Mm -hmm. all of these things that they had done, just unbelievable amount of stuff. And they said, but we're protected, King's X. We win. You go home and you pay our hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in attorney's fees, however much it would be. And uh, that would have obviously been devastating. And the, the Court of Appeals went even beyond the trial court. And the Court of Appeals said that all of this behavior, and it's recited in the opinion, so a lawyer in Kentucky can cite it, and a lawyer in California can cite it. It's not binding authority in their jurisdiction, mm-hmm. but it's showing, number one, that it is out there in the case law, that they do, in fact, do all of this stuff. It was... Mm-hmm. It was not a matter of controversy. And the Court of Appeals said, this does not even rise to the level of constitutionally protected activity. It doesn't rise to the level of exercise, of free exercise of religion. It doesn't uh, rise to the level of, um, you know, the right to gather together, to petition, all of the things that the church claimed. And so that, that opinion is out there. And it was a tremendous victory. And sure. uh, so we felt fantastic about it. Um, w- it was really probably the time that the window of opportunity was there that the case should settle. And this is a huge victory for people who are outside of Scientology, who are being fair gamed for, for every, I mean, literally for everybody involved. And if I could say, please, Lydia, go ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, I can think back on my career, and I'm very proud of my career, but I don't think I'll be any more proud of what we accomplished in that case. Sure. And, you know, the, the financial hit, it goes away over time. You just sure. rebuild and you go on. So, and I've talked to Ford Green. Yes. Yeah, so, Mike, do you want to just say who they were yeah. really quick, Mike? 
Yeah, Vicky Asneram was like the predecessor of Marty Rathbun. She mm. was the head, uh, the the head enforcer of the Religious Technology Center. She left. She sued. She had a lawyer, Ford Green, who you know because he appeared on the aftermath. Right now, uh, Vicky Asneram, another one uh, who has signed affidavits that she was uh, involved in fair game activities and the and. Uh, um, destroying evidence in cases, and I, you know, you, you haven't heard from these people. I, I'm assuming they made uh, they got a deal with Scientology, so they're no longer speaking or doing anything that they could be doing. Um, uh, so she's another one. So there, these dec- we should probably put these up, Mike, on the website. Uh, Marty Rathbun's yep. um, affidavit, as well as Vicky Asneran, and also all that stuff on the the squirrel busters and 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 the yeah. judgment as ray is talking about the, the, you know people should see what the, what these judges have said about Scientology fair game uh and maybe you know judges in California will start to get their heads out of their asses and start doing some research or the people who work for them to see what uh what people are up against when they are uh dealing with Scientology, being brave enough to bring Scientology to court. And the other thing I just want to mention before we move on is um, why it was so important, uh, David Miscavige being named as somebody who had to testify, this only happened or is about to happen in the Lisa McPherson trial, of which uh, you should all look up. Um, and uh, that that was going to be unprecedented, that, that David Miscavige would have to testify. He almost had to. And the same here. And um, I think it's important that people understand that. And Mike, you should you should probably say this so people really get it. There is nobody dictating to OSA, meaning Office of Special Affairs, which is the Department of Scientology's dirty tricks. The person who calls the shots of who gets attacked, who gets fair gamed, is directed by David Miscavige. And Mike, oh. how do we know that? Because. I was the one that would carry out that direction. So would Marty Rathbun. We only ever heard, the only people that could tell Marty Rathbun or me when I was in charge of the Office of Special Affairs what to do and how to conduct litigation and how to deal with enemies of Scientology was the chairman of the board, David Miscavige. And he calls himself that, right? Chairman of the board? Yes, the chairman of the board. Okay. And- that's it. There's nobody else. There's nobody else to second guess. There's nobody else to uh, provide any direction. There's nobody else that I had to listen to. So let, I let, listen. Let, yeah. So let's say let, 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 let's say I'm just a Scientologist. I work for Sea Org. I work for Scientology, right? I'm Ed Parkin from the Stand League, the Scientology front group. I don't just willy-nilly go rogue. These are not just some rogue Scientologist hiring PIs. It's not. He's saying... I can't just say whatever the hell I want to say, right? As a as a defender of Scientology, right? Of course. And Leah, this is what is so significant about what Ray was just talking about. Yeah. Because Scientology comes in and defends all of the stuff they do by saying repeatedly, oh, that's just a rogue uh, person. Oh, no, this is just an individual acting on his own religious beliefs. Oh, right. no, we don't know anything about that. Oh, no, he's been disciplined. Oh, like they've got a million reasons why they're not responsible and David Miscavige isn't responsible. Right. And that's what was so remarkable about the Rathbun case mm-hmm. was they walked into court 
and said, yep, we did it all. We paid for it. We paid these people. We directed them. They were reporting into us. And it's all protected activity. We're protected by the First Amendment and our religious status. So go take a fucking hike. And And the court court said, court said, uh, excuse me? Mm -hmm. No. In fact, the ruling from Judge Waldrip that ultimately got appealed goes into enormous detail about Scientology as a business enterprise because they caught themselves in another problem of having to talk about the competition that they were, that Marty Rathbun was engaged in. Uh. And they said, Marty Rathbun was competing with us. And Judge Waldrop basically said, well, you can't walk in here and say this guy's competing with you in the market uh, for Scientology services and not be admitting that you're a business. Right. Now, I don't recall all this that well, and if I've said something in error there, Ray, please correct me. But as I recall, that was another significant part about this case. This case had everything going for it. It was the first time that Mm -hmm. anybody had really been in a position to hold Scientology's feet to the fire and put a a huge dent in their ability to to carry out fair game activities free and clear and without anybody being able to do or say a thing. So you're winning. So you're winning, Ray. Not only are you winning uh, for your clients, but you for all of us who and people who have been fair gamed in the past and who will be fair gamed. You, you could you were about to put an end to this activity of fair game. And why were you abruptly fired? Yeah, and and that they moved away. They they moved from the San Antonio, Texas area, uh, several hours away, back down to Ingleside on the Bay bought a beautiful home down there close to the water Mm -hmm. and we had no idea. And so, um, we got this, this big, um, victory. And one aspect of the victory that was so great was because the church of Scientology had acknowledged that they had done all of this stuff. That meant we would ultimately go back to the trial court and they've already admitted most of Mm -hmm. what we thought was going to be our hardest uh, areas of proof. So we were excited and happy, and um, certainly there there could have been the possibility at that time, logically, in any in any bit of civil litigation, the window of opportunity would have been open to settle the case. Sure. And uh, so we started communicating with our clients. It's time to get back in the saddle. Uh, we we may get reviewed by the Texas Supreme Court. We may be mm-hmm. back down at the trial court, and. Um, uh, of course, I can't discuss anything that w- I we visited about with our clients, but but this was the natural time to kind of kick back into gear. Mm-hmm. And at some point along th- there, we learned that our clients didn't even live here anymore. And um, and then just things started getting very difficult and strange. Mm-hmm. And um, finally, out of the blue one day, we all three law firms got letters or e- I think there were letters attached to emails and we might've also gotten a, a paper snail mail copy later telling us that we had been 
our services had been terminated. And interestingly, they specified without cause. And um, so that means, you know, we had done absolutely nothing wrong. And um, they didn't have a basis for terminating us. They were just terminating us. And it may surprise you to know that a lawyer, I mean, a lawyer can be fired by his client at any time, even mm. with a contingent fee agreement in place. Mm. The only lawyer's remedy is, is that the lawyer, if there is a recovery, could sue to get the lawyer's share of the recovery. So right. that way, when one lawyer doesn't come in and sort of, st if they ever would, steal a client away from a lawyer and then later get a multi-million dollar settlement, sure. the first lawyer would have the opportunity to claim the fee, the fee sure. interest. So sure. um, that's very, very, very rarely done. But here there was nothing of the kind. We were just notified that, um, that we were fired and in very short order, there was a pro se filing. Pro se means by the party without a lawyer mm -hmm. uh, that was in the name of Monique. But if anyone, Mike, if you, you read it, you know that was written by Marty. It's, I mean, no, nobody else writes quite as, as convoluted a prose as Marty. And interestingly in there, it said that they had already achieved what they had set out to achieve uh, or what? some words to that effect. And, um, and so there, we were, we were just left scratching our heads and there's no use in, in talking to the local lawyers. They don't know what's happened. But on a, on a personal level, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure this was devastating to you because you got so invested in it and other people got invested in it to, to do the right thing, uh, without pay. Um, and I'm sure on a personal level, it broke your heart. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and um, when, when you realize how much sacrifice we had all made, uh, I mean, this was not just some, I don't know what, some mundane uh, thing that a lawyer would handle. This is kind of a, a career type case. Sure. Big, big issues are at hand. It has an effect on people's lives. Sure. And we cared for and wanted the best, right. in particular for Monique. Monique is a wonderful, wonderful person. Of course. What are they doing? They're, they're By dropping the whole thing, they're exposed to any more fair game that might come up. Uh, who's gonna take their lawsuit then? Right. Um, uh, they would be left just completely defenseless, but- But Mike, what? so Mike, what did happen? I don't know. I, I know only the circumstances of what happened and my conclusions based on those circumstances because at the same time, Marty and Mosey stopped communicating with their lawyers and fired them, Marty also stopped communicating with me. In fact, a couple of months previously, after the big win in the Texas Appeals Court, Marty and Mosey had called Christy and I mm -hmm. out of the blue and mm -hmm. said, I just want to let, we, we want mm -hmm. to let you and Christy know that we will never abandon you. Mm -hmm. We will never do anything that will hinder your ability or our ability to assist you in a lawsuit should you now want to bring a lawsuit based on what has happened in the appeals court. 
Okay. This was basically the last conversation that I ever had with Marty Mosey. So they've never returned your call since. But we do know that a house was purchased for, what, $200,000 back in in, in the town Uh, that, that they always wanted to live in or what? I mean, well, I, the real estate documents indicate uh, that they put down a hundred thousand dollars, and then they—I believe—they signed a, a promissory note for the balance, whatever that was. And and it was a the house was worth a few hundred thousand dollars. This is not an expensive area. Uh, Texas has well, a huge uh, coastline. Uh, it's a, right, it's, but right, it's a uh-huh, humble uh-huh. community, but uh, a very I mean, nice. But but right to have just go from not working uh, to having a hundred thousand dollars of a down payment, uh, that's pretty that's pretty substantial. Yes. I think by anybody's standards, no. Yes, and so we looked into this. We were fired uh-huh. in January of two thousand and sixteen, uh-huh. and so one obvious question was, wait a second, because I know a lot of the history of the Church of Scientology, including mm-hmm. the Asnaran thing, and. Uh, uh, and, and there were some other indications that I won't go into, um, uh, but we had a very serious uh, uh, concern that maybe there had been a, a settlement. And then we discovered this, that they had bought a house, mm-hmm. and that's why they were no longer living in, in the San Antonio area. And then mm-hmm. I started just, it, it just kind of st- stuck in my craw, because again, this was such an important thing. And one of the things I went back and and noticed was if if you looked at when they bought that house mm-hmm. from the if you looked at Marty's blog for two or three years or however many years before that time, mm-hmm. the just look at the headlines. There's there's screeching headlines about the horrors of Scientology or David oh, Miscavige sure. or, or this or that. By the way, uh, also yeah. You know, you always notice the things most that touch on you personally. He said yeah. horrible things about me. And, um, y- you know, I thought, wow, I really came out of the, as the loser on this deal. Sure, and sure. Um, so so it was like solving a puzzle. All of a sudden, I realized, wait a second. While the case was quiet and we weren't really communicating mm-hmm. much, mm-hmm. the they move away and buy a house. We don't even know it. And then um, if you look at his blog, it was so clear that he went from being Scientology's biggest critic or one of its mm-hmm. biggest critics to never writing another bad thing about Scientology. And then at some point he shifted into full-time attack on you, on, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, on any Mike, media that you, came out, uh-huh, on, yep. on uh, the Alex Gibney uh, mm-hmm. Uh, deal, which he had assisted with the book that that was based on. So um, it, it was, oh, it was just, he was the star. He was the star of Louis Theroux's movie. Correct. And he's Louis attacking Louis Theroux him. did that movie. And uh-huh. when it came out, Marty said it was a piece of trash. It was all wrong. He got it totally wrong. Blah, 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 blah. And guys, you could look all this up. You should look up what Scientology had to say about Marty Rathbun, what Marty Rathbun had to say about Scientology, and what Marty's saying now. Right. Can I explain to people at home what the A to E steps are? Okay. So when you commit a sin, 
uh, and in Scientology, they're called suppressive acts, like going to the police if you've been raped or going to police if you were molested. You know, that's a suppressive act in Scientology. That gets you labeled an enemy. If you take Scientology to court, you were labeled, that's a suppressive act in Scientology. It's, it's evil and you are, okay. So if you're, you know, left for dead and you have no resources or you are about to lose something and you decide that you want to settle with Scientology, you have to do what's called A to E steps. And uh, this is, I'm, I'm quoting from the book of Elwin Hubbard called Introduction to Scientology Ethics. I recommend that law enforcement get themselves a copy. Uh, but anyway, in here, it says, if a person or group that has committed a suppressive act comes to his or her, her or their senses and recants, his, her, or their only terminal is the international justice chief. That's like the guy who approves your coming back into Scientology, right? So the first, you have to do these steps if you want to get back in the group. Of Scientology, Mike, you can interject at any time if I'm saying anything wrong or you want to add anything. No, you're doing perfect. Reading away. Okay, one of the so so A to E steps, everybody. The first A tells the person or group to stop committing present time overts, and overts are you know just telling the truth about Scientology, a transgression, and cease and to cease all attacks and suppressions. So he or she can get case gain, meaning help in Scientology, so they could start to be normal. Requires a public announcement to the effect that they realize their actions were ignorant and unfounded and stating where possible the influences or motivations which caused them to attempt to suppress or attack Scientology. Gets it signed before witnesses and published broad, broadly, particularly to persons directly influenced or formally associated with the former offender or offenders. The letter should be calculated to expose any conspiracy to suppress Scientology. Anyway, so it goes on. I don't actually need to. So they have to make public statements against people that there were their former friends and supporters, and they have to attack anybody that helped them, befriended them, or recant the truths Right, Mike? Yeah. And this exactly. is what and this is what Marty Rothbun is doing and has been doing. And Marty continues to do it now because uh, uh part B, you know, P B two is like to make an amends to the group. Um, and so part of Marty's amends, I could only assume, is to continue to be the attack dog for Scientology. And he's still working on his amends, but he's clearly back in the fold of Scientology. Yes, and apparently is no longer suffering the uh, ill effects of fair game being employed against him. Correct. So there is some trade-off. You know, Ray made a very astute observation. Mm -hmm. By dismissing that lawsuit, Mm -hmm. they opened themselves to endless fair game. Mm -hmm. If that had been something that they were worried about, that would be the last thing that you would do. You would Correct. not dismiss the lawsuit that was preventing it from happening and that ultimately may give you a massive victory. Oh, I get you it. would hang on to that. But dear life, turning on all your friends is Who even helped you, more by disgusting. The way. Who helped you? 
who helped you Correct. when you needed them. Yep. And Ray can attest how much time I spent in Texas mm -hmm. and at home here in Florida working to gather evidence and put together documents and mm -hmm. explain things and et cetera, et cetera, for nothing. Like I wasn't, I wasn't being paid any, by anybody for anything. I right. was doing it to assist them to put an end to this insanity that had been going on in their lives. And right. that was, that was all I was doing. And you lost a friend, Mike. I mean, you lost, yes. you and Christy both lost friends that were, went through some pretty traumatic events in your lives, um, considering the abuse that you two uh, both suffered uh, as well giving it, but you both suffered some traumatic events being in Scientology and that uh, you found uh, comfort in each other as friends and, and as couples, knowing that you, you know, you were all being fair gamed uh, is it, it, really heartbreaking because it's not many people can understand that. Yes. What you've been that's through together. Yeah. That's exactly right, Leah. It was, yeah. it was exceedingly upsetting. It was exceedingly upsetting to, to, to Christy too. I mean, I married Monique and Marty. Right. Marty gave away Christy when I married her. I, I also say, Leah, that Mahdi is also a product of Scientology. Mm -hmm. He is a victim of Scientology to, to some extent. The product of Scientology is very evident in Mahdi. Mm -hmm. And seeing him and his actions and how he reacts to things and his, I uh, always attack, never defend. Mm -hmm. And like this, this mindset is a very Scientological mindset that he has. Mm -hmm. And his way of treating people is a very Scientological way of treating people. He well, talks yes. about the great middle path, but he believes that anybody that doesn't think like he it does, which is the Scientology way of thinking is beneath contempt. Sure. And this is sadly true. Right. It's sad to be talking about someone that I felt so close to for so Understood. long yeah, in this fashion. But listen, yeah. you know, I, I would hate to, I would hate to, uh, um, I'd be remiss if we didn't actually invite Marty to, you know, he has such a big mouth and has so many opinions about me and you, Mike. I'd love for Mike. I'd love for Marty to grow some balls and be on this program. Oh so, yeah, me open too. invitation to I you. <laughs> I mean, listen, any of you. I mean, I'd take anybody at this point. I mean, any of you have the balls or the courage to come on this program. All you need to do is go on the website and write us. Mark, Mike has a blog. You can, you could. Write them there. You could tweet us. I mean, we'd be happy to talk to any current Scientologist, but especially the people that we're talking about. I've written Marty many a letter and uh, never sent one of them. You know, right. there's this there's this unresolved business that I think probably all of us have where we'd sure. like to just get some answers. And uh, before we end, I would like to clear up just a couple of things because sure. the the Monique Rathbun's case ended strangely. We're fired and all of that. We had a good indication that they had, in fact, circumstantially, it seemed pretty clear that they must have made it right with the church. And so um, what we did was we filed a petition 
-hmm. asking to take their depositions. Mm -hmm. Now, we didn't know if that would have a bang or a whimper. Mm -hmm. So we took the easier route and we filed it in uh, San Antonio because our contract was performable in San, in San Antonio. That's mm -hmm. easy for us. It's in our neighborhood. Um, we, in retrospect, if we really had wanted to push it, we should have gone to the trouble of filing it down in San Patricio County where they were, because that would have gone under a different component of the rule. But we didn't know if they'd even show up or if they'd contest it. We didn't know what would happen. And so, um, so we did file this petition in San Antonio asking to take their depositions. And, um, and I, I do need to point out that after we no longer represented them and were potentially adverse adversaries, mm -hmm. we asked them three times to tell us whether they had received anything of value and they gave evasive answers. We never got a, a good answer. Mm -hmm. And so we filed this thing. We felt like we had no choice unless mm -hmm. we wanted to just walk away at that point. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so we went to court and, but, but the first thing that happened was an absolute confirmation that Scientology was representing them because, what? um, I said, I had said to my co-counsel, it would have to be a new lawyer, but if it was a lawyer cut from that cloth that would fit the same mold, mm -hmm. then we know there is a deal and, and we're any fight we have will be a fight with Scientology. Again, so right. sure enough, I get a phone call or an email out of the blue after we file the thing and serve Marty and, and Mosey. And it's from a lawyer. Exactly. I called up my co-counsel and said, mm -hmm. well, we know what the game is now because there's mm -hmm. no way in the world Marty and Mosey would have known to hire this guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's possible, but I, it's just, I would never believe it in a million years. It mm -hmm. was someone hired by OSA. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so we had the hearing and the judge, I think in retrospect, rightfully said, um, under this provision of the pre-suit deposition thing, um, you don't succeed. If you mm -hmm. want it, you have to go down to San Patricio County. So then we were left with, okay, we've got a battle on our hands mm -hmm. with the Church of Scientology. The Church of Scientology, one of their favorite tactics is to attack the lawyers. Mm -hmm. We were attacked in every case. They sought to disqualify us. They accused us of things. They'd have private eyes videoing the license plates of the cars in the parking lot. I had helicopters hovering over my house with someone videoing a couple of times. I, I mean, maybe it wasn't them. Maybe it was, oh, but it was all on, at the right Ray. time. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so, so then we were left with the question, do we proceed? Right. Well, you, you know what the whole thing would be, would be, they would maybe get uh, the Rathbuns to file a grievance against us, sure. uh, try to sue us somehow, even though we had won virtually every battle, sue right. us for some kind of malpractice or breach of fiduciary duty or something like that. And, um, you know, w without having the, the testimony that confirmed it, we definitely wouldn't want to do it. But we just decided at that point how many more hours of our lives right, that we could right. spend with our families sure. or making money, working on other cases for, sure. for other clients. How, how much time are we going to put into this? And I mean, I've tossed and turned in my bed many times. I've talked with my co-counsel about it. 
we've gone back and forth and ultimately we just let the time run so right. i i just wanted to to clear the air on that we just made a painful painful decision and sure. unless you've dealt with these people i mean the church of scientology uh, in these circumstances you can't understand it and i i think mike understands completely why we decided not to pursue it sure. um but i'm sure would have supported us if we if we had decided to do it um so of course so that's it lots of we are all left here um there is no mystery other than the unanswered questions of of you know how marty could could do this and you know one comment I'd like to make, knowing, you know, Leah, you were involved with the church for years. Mike, you were, you know, at, at the top of the C organization and all of that. And anyone who's been deep in and deeply involved can be criticized late, later in their life. Hey, you, you, why did, did you do this? Why were you there when this happened? How could you put up with that? You, you know, like trying to put something on you back at that time. Mm -hmm. But the question is, what do you do when you get out? Right. And for a while, to me, this is Ray, the human being, not Ray, the lawyer. Mm -hmm. For a while, Marty went on the right path right. and he was doing good things and was helping people. Right. And I just think he's on the wrong path. And I'm sorry about that. And I, I can't imagine that ultimately he's happy where he is today. But, you know, God bless him, and especially Monique, beautiful Monique, I wish them all the best. That's very nice, Ray. Mike, any parting words? No, I, I I'm, I'm all out. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm uh, this, this is exhausting and mm -hmm. somewhat. Um, Emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhat yeah. Tra traumatic almost. Sure. It's yes. like reliving a period that was so fraught with with uh, incredible emotions and then incredible betrayal mm -hmm. and it's hard talking about that sort of betrayal it's sure. like it's very difficult it's difficult not to be entirely bitter and yeah. just nasty and vicious i have great empathy for monique just as Ray does. Uh, she is a wonderful woman. Yeah, no, we, I can't thank you enough for what you have done for the, you know, people who are not involved in cases with Scientology, but, but, you know, you are their, their champion as well. So I, I give you a big thank you for, for, for what you've done and the years that you've put your yourself and your family through this craziness with Scientology. It's, it's very admirable. We hope there's, uh, more of you out there, Ray, because, you know, we've had a tough time finding those people. Even when we thought we found them, we didn't. And, uh, you know, I, 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 what I'm taking away from all of this is that, you know, you probably, we should probably move to Texas, Mike, because, yes. you know, we, we honestly, I, I, I'm not going to go into it, but I, I will tell you, we, I, you know, we have experienced um, some significant things here in, in Southern California, um, some fair game activities that I uh, have never experienced with Scientology before. And uh, we do not receive the same um, support. And I'm talking about just my neighbors, right? I'm not talking about law enforcement. 
I'm talking about neighbors saying, hey, man, I don't want to get involved. Like, I know you people, and th- these are exact words from one of my neighbors, I know you people are fighting Scientology. I don't want to get involved. So we don't have the same type of human beings with any kind of decency on my block, certainly. But Texas is looking better and better as far as judges are concerned <laughs> and courts are concerned and just in general people. Hey, man, I, I love Texas. And one thing that I want to make clear, and thank you for the nice things you said, is I'm not bitter. I'm not broken. I haven't left the fray. I have helped people. It's been behind the scenes, hasn't been mm-hmm. in the same degree, because it's very difficult to have a case or a matter that is worth pursuing and that has a reasonable chance of success. You have mm-hmm. to know uh, all of the different ins and outs. And um, so I'm not, I'm neither itching for a new case or uh, nor am I saying I wouldn't take a new case. I'm still mm. right there. I'm still interested and I'm a happy man. Ray, thank you so much. And thank you for continuing to be, to, you're always willing to talk to us and help us. And we just can't thank you enough for all that you do. Absolutely. Yes. And and I just want to add that Ray is on the board of the Aftermath Foundation and continues to work with the other members of the board on the, mm-hmm. the work that we are doing to help people leaving Scientology. And last thing, all of the documents that we talk about will be on the faircamepodcast.com website and also on my blog, mikerindersblog.org. When this episode airs, everything will be there for you to be able to see. And thanks again so much, Ray. Thank you, Ray. Thank you both. God bless you guys. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Until next time, 